0: overcoming anxiety and fear, educating the reluctant student, cultivating lasting relationships, and strengthening our faith. My hope is that the insights offered on the show will help us envision ourselves using our unique gifts and talents on greater levels for greater purposes. Hello, everyone. Today's guest is Mr. Wendell White, and he's going to share with us how he turned around his life from one of crime to that of inspiring others. So welcome, Wendell. It is just an absolute honor to have you on the show. Please tell us more about yourself.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Wendell White, author and motivational speaker, married father of 11. It's, it's a pleasure to be on the show. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on this show, man, and I just hope um everything that we talk about, everything we share today and everything that I share with, with the listeners that I can just help somebody, man. I I know I can't I don't have the power to save, but I know um with with the testimony that I've been through, God has blessed me to um overcome a lot of things. And I know um man, sometimes some people just need to hit a one right thing to get them on that right track. So um I just I just pray this time that I have that I'm able to touch if it's just one person if we could touch one, we win. So that's, man, that's the goal.
0: You know, I've heard a little bit about your story and I know that you've written a biographical type of book. It's called The Devil Thought He Had Me. Okay. That is a loaded title. Can you just unpack that a little bit? What do you mean by that title? And go ahead and tell us your story. I'm very eager to hear more.
1: Growing up, um, single mom on the south side of Chicago, born and raised. Um, it was just, it was just a lot of obstacles I had to go through from um, being in foster care to joining the gang to selling drugs and having um, a teenage, being a, a father at a at, at, as a teenage. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. and um, it's just so much things. So many things came with that. And, and when I say the devil thought he had me, and um, I really stand on that title because it's the truth. The devil did thought he had me like there's so many things like we don't even understand we we don't understand like as a Christian like I'm a Christian I'm a, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ but I, I didn't understand before I became a Christian that you know it's it's spiritual warfare out here you know like with all the murders and everything that's going on it's it's, it's really a spiritual it's a spiritual battle b- between Satan and God you know, people just get in the middle of it, you know, people, the people are getting in the middle of it and, you know, God's love for his people that he created. And, you know, um, Satan is just, you know, hating and jealous. And he just saying, if I can hurt God by taking his people. And, um, I was one of those people that, that the enemy was really trying to take and by the grace of God. And we, you know, we throw that, we throw that term around so freely, but I don't really understand. I don't really think people really understand, you know, by the grace of God, because the grace of God is so strong because you talking to a man that um, has uh, overcome being shot twice, um, being kidnapped, beat with bets, left in the trunk for dead, you know, for drugs and money. And, you know um, what?
0: Before we get there, let's go back a little bit. You said you were raised by a single mom, but then you somehow ended up in the foster care system. Can you tell us how that happened so we can understand and piece together your story a little bit better of how you even wound up with gang activity?
1: I was like seven or eight years old. And uh, man, my mom, my mom, she just ran the streets a lot. My mom, she, she didn't do drugs. She didn't smoke no type of drugs. She didn't smoke weed, cigarettes, nothing. She didn't drink. She didn't do nothing. But my mom had, she had so many children. By the time my mom was like 29 years old, she had nine children. Mm-hmm. So, um, when, when we was like, when I was like seven to eight years old, she had all, my mom had already had like, she, was four of us that got to, she had six children already. Mm-hmm. You know, and my mom, she was probably like 25, 26 years old. She had already had six children. So one night, um, and we, we was living in a, in a suburb in, in Chicago, Harvey, Illinois. And, uh, my mom was gone. And actually I was with my mom the night that it happened. And, um, one of my little sisters um they was running through the house playing in the house and my sister had cut she it was some broken glass and the garbage and she mm. tripped and fell playing in the house and she had cut her artery on her mm. arm um in the glass and the garbage and man she had my sister I was I was 7 or 8 so my sister had to be like 5 or 6 years old and man she had lost like half of the blood in her body when me and my mom we was me my mom and my aunt and my my auntie my mom's sister we was on our way um back home and we had seen a close friend of the family and was telling us like man you need to get to the hospital I was telling my mom like you need to get to the hospital you know your daughter man she got cut real bad and man she in the hospital man they don't think she going to make it so um he took us up around the corner to Ingalls Hospital that was in Harvey and um, my sister was there. She was fighting for her life, man. Can you can imagine a five year old losing that much blood? When we got when we got home later on that night, my mom brought me home. Man, it looked like it looked like a horror movie. Like it was. I'm talking about it was just that much blood. It was just blood everywhere. And then you know all of my sisters and brothers you know they was they were all little like i'm the second oldest out of nine so if i was seven or eight my sister was like eight or nine my oldest sister was like eight or nine so you know they didn't have the they didn't they didn't understand you know try to clean up all the blood so it was just they went to sleep with the blood everywhere you know everything it was just like it was like a scary movie when, when we walked in the house like a month like a month go past so these people came knocking on the door um, these white people, they was all in, you know, suits and dress clothes and my mom was with them. And, you know, I could tell that my mom had been crying. She was crying. So they loaded all us up and, um, they took us to the hospital to see, you know, to get my, my little sister. So we still not knowing what's going on. So we all, um, uh, we all sitting in this car. So my mom came to the car and, you know, she broke down crying. She was hugging us. And she was just telling us like, um, uh, we was gonna go with these people for a while, and man, and it was just heartbreaking, man. And you know, we all began to cry and scream. And you can imagine my little sister; she's five years old. She been in the hospital for a month, and she get out the hospital, and we go straight to the foster home. You know, she don't even get to go home. You know, we went straight to a foster. We went straight to foster care. And uh, but um, it was it was it was it was just a bad time for us, you know. But it ultimately being one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. You know personally, and I tell people this all the time because me, it was it was my brother and sister, my oldest brother and my youngest sister that got that was injured, and then it was me and my brother that was under me. We went to one home, and then my sister and then went to one home, and uh, my sister, my two sisters, they went to a great loving home that was really 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 good to them, and me and my brother, we went to an amazing family, the Whitfield family. I still talk to them right now to this day. And, man, they really they, they treated us like they were like we were their own children. They taught us how to be children. They let us be children. They taught us how to be children. When we was with them, we didn't have to fend for ourselves. We didn't have to cook our own meals. You know, we didn't have to um wash our own clothes. You know, they really showed us that, you know, about teaching us about education and teaching us how to read and write and do things like that. So it was really ultimately it looked like a bad you know, ordeal, but it actually been, it was actually a blessing to go with them, you know, because they taught us the things that was going to propel us in life and help us, you know, with life because, you know, there's no knock to my mom. My mom was only teaching us when she was taught, you know, my mom, you know, she ran the streets and we we kind of like fan for ourselves. Like we, I, I might see my mom once every 25 days, you know, so we were, we were getting ourselves ready for school. We went to school. We wanted to go to school. It was just a lot. That we had to endure.
0: That's that's so important. If I can interject here, you know, I'm an educator, and oftentimes we talk about how you know the kid that's showing up late and not completely prepared. How we need to look and see that everybody's dealing with different circumstances at home. You are literally shedding light on the fact that there are kids out there. Who are fending for themselves? So the fact that they made it to school at all is an A plus.
1: We stayed in foster care for about two years, two and a half years, and um, we came home the summer of 1999, um, Illinois, and us giving us back to custody, giving us back custody to our mom. And when we came home, we was living in University Park in Illinois. that's a that's a, that's a southern suburb, a south suburb. Just the middle class families, you know, everybody in houses and everybody is um going to work and everybody got yards. And, you know, just the ideal family where, where you want to raise a child. At We left from our We left them and we went back to my mom. My mom stayed. We stayed 3919 South Federal in, in the inner city of Chicago. It was a project building, the Robert Taylor building. It was a 16 story building. We stayed in um, apartment 801. And when we came home to my mom, like man, we came home, and when we walked in the door, man, it was like we was it was like we was going to view a, a an apartment, like it was nothing. My mom had nothing; she didn't have no furniture, she didn't have nothing. So it was just like these past two and a half years, we have we have came accustomed to this lifestyle that we were living, and now we're back here. That part even it traumatized me. Like I cried every night for like the first sixty days. I cried every night because I just didn't want to be there. You know, I, I wasn't used to my mom anymore. I wasn't used to this lifestyle that we were living. You know, I was used to, you know, I was used to being a child. My mom was still battling with, her, with, with herself as a mom. She still didn't know how to be a mom. So she may then leave us, you know, for days and days at of time anymore, but she'll leave for the entire day. She'll leave us for the entire day. So when we came back home. Um, My mom had three three other children when we about the time we got back home she now she had two children she was pregnant with my my baby brother mm-hmm. you know it was just it was just a struggle man and, and and my mom when we got back home my mom was selling drugs so that's how we got introduced to selling drugs and it went from my mom selling drugs to us selling the drugs as 10 year-old children and it mm-hmm. wasn't you know it wasn't hand-to-hand contact selling drugs what it was is my mom had this Uh, My uncle has set up uh, um, this thing called the line out of my mom's apartment. And what they do is that people call the phone, call the house phone and whatever the code word is like. He'll say the code word was blue today. So every time somebody called the phone, we'll say blue. We'll say blue. All we're saying is blue. We ain't. They'll just say, what's the word? And we'll say blue. Now we nine, 10, 11 year old children. We answering this phone all day. The phone ringing from eight o'clock in the morning to like two a.m., three a.m. And it will be sometimes, man, my mom would ask us, like, man, do you want to stay home from school? Like, you want to stay home from school? Like, you can stay home from school because I need you to answer the phone. So what she's teaching us, man, is she's teaching us how to sell drugs. And like I say, like, anybody that's listening to this, I'm not saying that to knock my mother. Like, because I love my mom and she's a a great woman. But my mom was only teaching us the things that she knew. She's teaching us what she knew. So right. she knew how to hustle. She knew how to grind. She knew how to sell drugs. So although we didn't see the drugs, we we wasn't, you know, hand-to-hand transaction with the drug. we were still involved in drug dealing. Somebody may say, well, y'all were not selling drugs. Y'all was just answering the phone. Well, without us, you can't get the drugs. You right. know, so we, we played the biggest role in the drugs being sold. Man, my uncle was making great money, man, and that, that's who I looked up to. That was the only father figure I had in my life. And man, my uncle was making sixty, seventy thousand dollars a day selling heroin. So um, when you when you around that that type of money and you around, you know, my uncle, he got the Porsches, and the the drop-top Cadillac Alantes, and, you know, he got the jewelry, and the women, you know, as a young boy, man, you, you look, you gravitate to things like that, you see stuff like that, and you gravitated to it, and that's what I did, I gravitated to that, and that ultimately became my best friend, like, my uncle became my best friend, and it was just, just like you were saying earlier, like, it was just something about me, it was something about me that my uncle, um, he just taught me. He used to sit me down, and me and him would be up. He had talked to me like I was a grown man. He had talked to me to three, four, five o'clock in the morning, and just sit down and just talk to me about certain things, and have me watch um, movies with him, Scarface and Godfather, and, and he had break these movies down to me. And at the time, I didn't understand like why. Like it would be times I'd be, I'm ready to go to sleep, but I'm trying to disappoint him, so I'm watching the movies with him and doing things like that he's, he's, he's equipping me for what's about to happen to me in my life. And I didn't even know that's what he was doing. He's a type
0: of grooming.
1: Yeah, he was grooming me. That's exactly what he was doing. He's showing me how to peep the snakes that's around the corner, you know, um, you know, how not to be disrespectful to certain people and, you know, why is this and why is that. And he was just showing me. And, um, and,
0: and he managed. used movies to teach you that.
1: Because that's how he learned. That's how he learned the game. You know, he learned the game from the sky. Like he was in the gang as well, but he really learned a lot of the principles on the movies, you know, like the movies that they showing every day on the TVs, the Scarfaces faces and the Godfather, the things that the, that society, you know, You know, society portray these things. They give this stuff to you because in reality is that's how the that's how everything is governed. Just like the way that they govern, they the the Italians govern, they they mob operation, you know, the gangs, they govern, they they gangs. All of that stuff is ran like is ran is, is ran like a Fortune 500 company, even down the church. churches ran like a business. You know, if you, if you doing church the right way, it's ran like a business. It's God, Jesus, the Holy spirit. And then it's all the other entities. you know what I'm saying? So that's, that's, that's how everything was, that's how everything was ran. So, um, man, he was just, he was just grooming me. And then, um, uh, man, I, I joined the gang at 12, you know, I, I joined the gang at 12, the, uh, the black <laughs> disciples in Chicago or the BDs. I joined the gang at 12, got blessed in at the age of 12 and, um, uh, man, when I got, when I got blessed in, as a, in the game, that's when, that's and they when call I,
0: it blessing.
1: yeah, they, they call it blessed in. like, we're not like certain games that, like, they didn't beat me up to join a game, they just, they did some things with their fingers, and told me to repeat some things after them, and I repeated this, I repeated this prayer, you know, after them, and um, I was blessed in, and then I had 30 days, you know, to learn, like, The prayer. So next time when I went to we call them sessions where everybody come and they they they, the head members give us, you know, like, you know, the outline of what's going on for the week and what's going on. Then, you know, you got it. You got you going to have your chance to open up the prayer. You have to open up this prayer in front of four or five hundred guys and you nervous and, you know, you stuttering and they making you start over. and.
0: So they actually have a meeting with an agenda and stuff like that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I said, it's ran like a, it's ran like a business. Like, you know, one thing about gangs, man, gangs, you know, we get a bad we got a bad reputation because of the drugs and the and the killing and things that goes on. But gangs wasn't meant to be. Gangs wasn't meant. They wasn't they wasn't formed to um, to destroy the community. The gangs, if you really do research on, on, on gangs and things like that, gangs was formed to help the community out, you know, especially back in the 60s, the 50s and the 60s when I my when the gang that I was involved in was formed, they were really joined to fight off the Irish mob in Chicago. You know, they was mm-hmm. they was formed to keep. To, to fight off the the, the the white people that was coming in the community, you know, trying to lynch the black people and do things like that. But ultimately, what happened was our government that we live in they they took advantage of the poverty stricken minds that that black people had. I'm not gonna say the communities. I'm gonna say the mind. They took advantage of that, and then they start feeding them the drugs and the money, and start seeing like how they can make money off of somebody else's misery. And that's what ultimately destroyed and pulled the gangs apart from one another and it became more of a brotherhood to now more of us we fighting over territory and we fighting over the love of money that's how it ultimately ended up happening but it wasn't the gangs wasn't made to to be like that from the beginning you know it's
0: interesting for me to hear your take on gangs and even talk about the business-like structure of them when I was a new teacher I had a student who was involved with the gangs and he even threatened me. He said, I'm part of the such and such gang. And I lost my mind temporarily because I felt like he was threatening me. And I said, little boy, if you don't sit down somewhere, my grandmother is tougher than you. But my conversation with him grew from that. I actually felt bad that that was my approach. And I thought of a different way to try to converse with him and get him turned on to learning. And, you know, by the end of the year, he actually had become teacher's pet. But what I understood when I applied to work on my PhD, I originally told them that I wanted to do my research, my dissertation on the idea of misguided leadership. Mm
1: -hmm. And I
0: got this idea having uh, worked with this young man. I saw that he really was highly intelligent. He was a leader. He was just using it in the wrong way. He was using his sphere of influence in the wrong way. And I got him to redirect that influence in a way that would benefit the class and even himself. So I had a little inkling of what you're talking about back then when I was working with this young man, but I think I still didn't quite understand. You are really going in depth here helping me you're illuminating to me um just how much of a business yeah, because, time one because, would because,
1: have. Because a lot of people, a lot of people like like today's age, like it's not even games no more per se. It's just really like a whole lot of clicks. Like it's not really games, but like a lot of people really, they really don't really understand games and they really, they really don't um even try to really don't really try to understand it. What you get from the news, they how they portray gangs and things like that. But they would never break down to you like where this all stuff this started from because what what, what they're going to expose is they're going to expose the racism and you know a lot of them with a lot of the, the gangs was you know fighting against the police and the, the Fred Hamptons of the world and things like that like it's a lot of things that they would never they would never the, you know society would never so tell
0: and it didn't originate in 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 the form that it's in today but it has morphed into something that's a lower form of what it was intended to be absolutely even 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 in our
1: gang right even it's a it's a it's a it's a part in our gang where they were saying like like the prayers say like um you know being able to use 360 degrees per knowledge in any situation so all that's saying is you know being able to use your mind go to school and think we want you to go to school be lawyers like when 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 I was when I was 12 and 13 14 15 like we couldn't be on the block like if we didn't go to school we couldn't come on the block like we had to go to school. Like that was a must. Like they tried to teach us like, man, y'all, you, you guys need to get an education, man. We need y'all to be lawyers and doctors and, and things like this. Police officers like they encourage this stuff back when mm-hmm. I was when I when I joined the gang back when you know back in when I was a teenager like the gangs really they influenced us to go to school they influenced us to graduate from high school and you know they they set you up they they bought prom clothes and they brought graduation clothes and things of that nature because they wanted you to go to school they wanted you to you know the the, the Lando CEO job where all the white people was landed that's why I say like a lot of people don't really understand gangs because they really never got to try to understand it. They just see what's portrayed on the news or what they say are the killing folks, and no, it didn't start out like that. That's that's not how the gangs work.
0: Tell me this: you mentioned earlier uh, your introduction of yourself that you've been kidnapped. Also, how did all that happen? Well, just um, you
1: know, selling drugs, man, selling drugs and man, one, one summer day, June 22nd, 1999, I was going to sell some drugs to a person. Um, they had just beat me needed some drugs. I told him I was going to meet them. and, um, uh, end up, end up, um, hanging out with the guy all day, like not knowing that, you know, it was, it was all a setup, everything that he was doing to me, everything that we was doing, it was just all a setup to get me to a certain place where they can, um, uh, where they can do what they wanted to do to me. And, um, uh, so we riding around, we talking drugs, we talking money and uh um, just talking, just talking.
0: How old were you?
1: I was 18 years old at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I was 18, and I my 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 oldest son, he was 19 months, I believe. And um, so man, we riding around, we riding around. And at those times in, in, in the city of Chicago, if um he was a rival gang from what I was, and at those times in Chicago, like you didn't when he pulled up on the block on his block, like if you weren't a part of them that gang, like you don't get out, like regardless of if it's money involved or nothing, man, you don't get out. You you sit in the car and you wait for him to get back in the car. That's what I did. He got out, but ultimately he was getting out the car to tell the guys, you know, like, man, this the guy that man, we finna rob or we finna we finna do what we finna do to him. So man, long story short, we end up pulling in the um and behind this abandoned building, because of the drugs that I had just sold him, he told me he was going to hide him in the abandoned building. And since he, you know, man, I knew the guy. So, man, I didn't I didn't think nothing of it. You know, we had just came from out to eat. We had just been kicking it all day. I got out the car and went into the gangway because I, I had to I had to take a leak. I went into the gangway. So as I was as I was taking the leak, the guy that I was with, he hit me in the back with a bat. Hmm. So. When he hit me with the bat, I turned around like, man, what you on? He's like, man, you know what time it is. So when he tried to swing the bat again, he tried to swing the bat at my head. I kind of pushed him to the side and I ran out of the gangway to the alley. But when I ran out of the gangway to the alley, like all the guys that he was just talking to, they were standing there. And they, um, man, they grabbed me. It was a guy, he was like 6'9". He picked me up and he, he he body slammed me on my back and kind of like just knocked all the wind out of me. And then they picked me back up and they dragged back where we had parked the car on a slab, like right by the gang, where it was a slab and behind this the building. They dragged me back there. And then the guy, he set me on my knees and I put my hands behind my back and he stood on, on the back of my legs. And, man, they all just took turns just beating me. They was just beating me. They was just beating me. They all just took turns. Everybody just took turns punching me and kicking me all in my face. And, you know, I, I watched a, a drop of blood turn into a puddle. And um, they was just beating me, just beating me, just beating me. And then that guy said, um, man, I want you to call them guys. You know, he was talking about he was talking about the, like the leaders of my gang, like the heads of my gang. And tell them like I want two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for you, or we gonna kill you. The gang is just like the army, you know. They don't negotiate with hostage takers, you know. They not. They are rather you kill me. Like, give us a reason to come back and kill. So wait all a minute. Them.
0: The guys you got in the car with, they weren't a part of the gang that you're in. Like, why no. did you trust them?
1: Because I had known, them. I I had knew them. I had I had grown up with them. They like twenty mm. year friends of mine. Like. You know, so it, I, I didn't look at it like that. I didn't think that uh, I didn't think that it, that was going to happen to me. I didn't think that they was plotting that. Um, they was telling me, you know, like, call, call these certain people and tell them, you know, that they want, you know, all this money. And I was just telling them, like, man, that y'all know that that ain't how I, that ain't how I go. Like, man, they'd rather y'all kill me. And then I just told them, I said, man, look, I got like fifty thousand dollars and a half a kilo of cocaine and y'all can have it. Man, just don't kill me. He was like, um, man, call some who can call. Tell them to bring that money, and I said, man, I can I can call um, my my son's mom, and I could tell her to bring the money, and she'll bring the money.
0: But they, you, they, just to be clear, you shared with them that the gang operates under the concept of we don't negotiate with terrorists. Well, but the thing about it, I didn't
1: I didn't have to share that with them. Like they they knew. Like that's how it was. Like that's 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 how it is. Like gang's not. They're not finna pay for nobody. That's, that's not how it goes. Like they knew that, but but I had I had let him know that. Like man, you know that they ain't finna. They not they not finna give y'all no money for me. Like they'd rather y'all kill you know. Mm. And I told him like, but I will. But this is what I have. You know, I have X amount of money, and I got this man, and y'all can have it. He told me to call my son mom, which I did, and uh, I told her to just. Listen to what they, what they were saying. I told her, don't call the police, you know, because I know if any police got involved, I was going to die. I I thought I was going to die anyway. I thought they was going to kill me anyway. I knew they knew, like, I know who y'all are, like, you know, so I thought I was going to die anyway. I can't lie to you. He got the phone back from me. He talked to her. They picked me up and put me in the trunk of a car. Like, I couldn't move and stuff anyway. I was beat and and broken up. Like, I couldn't move or do anything anyway. So the guy that was on the back of my feet, he he picked me up. They opened the trunk. He put me in the back of the trunk. And they shut the trunk. Now, as we driving, um, I could hear him on the phone um, with my son's mom telling my son's mom where to meet them at with the money. So as we... We driving, I'm crying, I'm in pain, I'm crying, I'm bloody, and um, I heard this voice, I heard this voice say, repent, repent, repent. Mm. And um, I didn't know nothing about God, but I remember my mom taking me to this church before, when I was like 12, 13 years old, and this lady was preaching, this lady named um, Pastor Clara Strong, she was preaching about uh, repentance, and about if you repent, you will go to heaven. So she was just breaking down what repentance is. Now I never forgot about that. I never forgot about that. And I heard this voice tell me to repent, like repent, ask God for forgiveness. And that's exactly what I did. I, I began to pray and I asked God to forgive me, you know, for everything that I had did. I didn't, I didn't know whether, whether I was repenting the right way or not. I just began to, to pray and ask God to forgive me. Man, this peace came over my body like never before. Like I, oh, I you never were
0: still in the trunk and beat up. You got a peace. Yeah, yeah.
1: like I got. Th- I stopped crying and everything. I stopped crying. I wiped my face. Um, I had. I had a shirt. My shirt.
0: I want to I hear more about this, but what is? I can't even fathom what's going through your mind when you literally feel like you're about to die. Like what? What was you your know
1: what? I could really think about at that time. I was just thinking about my son. I was thinking about my son, you know, being raised in this world without me. That's that's the only thing I thought about was my 19 month old son because at that time, like I really didn't, I really didn't care nothing about life. He was my life. You know, Mm my son was my life. Like I had been detached from humanity at at such an early age. Like nothing else mattered. Like I knew these was the these are the consequences that could happen. Like I was not the first person that I knew that has been kidnapped. I was just the first person that I knew that got out of the trunk alive. You Mm -hmm. know, I was not the first person that I knew that had been kidnapped. So um, at that time. So. I knew this was a part of life. This was a part of the game that I was living. So only thing I was thinking about was my son. You know, I just kept thinking about him. But after I prayed, it was like this peace came over me. It was like this peace. I stopped crying, took my shirt, wiped my face. Like right after I prayed, like two, three minutes after I prayed, the car came to a stop. The car, the car came to a stop and um, I scooted all the way to the back. Like where I can touch the seats because I thought they was going to shoot the car up. I thought they was going to shoot the trunk of the car up. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. And then the trunk opened and then the, the guy was standing there. He was like, man, we finna let you go. And um, he picked me up and he laid me on side of a garbage can. And man, they jumped in the car. They jumped in the car and they um, they drove off. They then Some guys was walking through the alley. Two guys was walking through the alley. It was it was like 90 something degrees outside that day, man. And it was two guys walking through the alley where they laid me at. And one guy said, like, um, man, it's a dead body right here. Because like I said, I was covered in blood, I was bloody, I'm covered in blood. He's like, it's a dead body right here. So they came over there, looked at me, and how they knew I was alive because I was I was blinking. Like I, I couldn't talk or nothing because I was so badly, I was, mm-hmm. I was really, really messed up. I didn't talk or nothing. Was so did your looking-
0: girlfriend get the money to them? Is that why they let
1: you go? Yeah, I ended up they end up letting me out on 79th. There's a street called 79th of Essex, in Chicago, and I guess that's where they told her to leave the money because they left me in a in, a, in another rival gang um, neighborhoods to make it seem like if I did die, that it was the it was that gang that I did it, can. you know so that's that's how they did it because I, I i'm pretty sure they thought that i was gonna die because i was really i was i was messed up real real bad yeah so the guys end up telling me like man just later when when the guy saw me blinking he was telling he said man he alive, and he was like man what happened i couldn't talk but i knew i was in my right state of mind that if mm-hmm. even if i could talk i was not gonna tell them somebody kidnapped me for some drugs and some money you know mm-hmm. so, um He was like, man, we finna call the ambulance for you. And that's what they did. And they, man, they came and got me. And, uh, man, I was in the hospital for like six, seven weeks, something like that, recovering. And, um, yeah, man, and, um, yeah, that's that's what happened to me. uh,
0: So you were kidnapped, you were released, and you said this prayer in the trunk um, of repentance. What did you say? Like, what was your prayer of repentance?
1: I don't kind of remember it all. I just know I just asked God. I just told God that I was sorry for, you know, all of the wrong that I have done because I'm not finna sit here and, you know, act like I was just a, I was a, I was an angel. Like I was terrible. You know, I, I was shooting at folks. I was, I was just terrible. I was, I was horrible, you know? So at the end of the day, it was really like the boomerang effect. Now it was time for me to go through all the stuff that I have put people through. That's why, that's, that's why, like, you know, I don't look at it, I don't look at it as, you know, like it was a bad thing, but I just know all of the bad things that I have done. So it was just like, man, those those seeds that you plant, you know, that's the harvest that you planted, you know, and I was reaping my harvest for all the terrible things that I had did to people and society and things like that. So that was just that's how I looked at it at the time. I was more mad, I was more angry that my my son mom gave all the money up then really? what yes and i'm not gonna lie to you like i was and, and that's how the satan have our mind so focused on money that's why the bible tells us it's the for the love of money is the root of all evil because mm-hmm. i care i didn't even care about god had just saved my life i'll care more about because like i said i didn't know who christ was at the time so i just how much I didn't, money
0: did she give him was it the 50
1: you have to hold she gave him everything she gave him everything everything so, so
0: when you I, got out of the hospital, what was different?
1: Everything was different. Everything, everything, everything was different. E- everything, everything was different. My whole, my whole life is different. Like my gang, my gang had turned their backs on me. They were not they wasn't in my corner. Like I was in the hospital all that time. Nobody came to see me. Only, only person came to see seen me all the time I was in the hospital was um, my son's mom and my best friend. My own mother didn't come see me in the hospital. I was in the hospital like six, seven weeks. Um, and so, to
0: you, does that mean? Well, I'm no longer part of this game.
1: No, you don't even look at it like that. You you don't you don't look at it like that. You get out, and I try to I try to connect the dots and figure out you know what what happened and you know why why they turned their backs on me. And it was really the simple fact of because a lot of them had told me you know to stop messing with. Stop messing with them guys anyway. And then a lot of it was because I told when they did come to the hospital the first day I was in the hospital, and they told me that you know that I was that they was gonna go kill the guy that did the, the setup. I told them no, nah. I told them no. Nah. I, nah. I told them don't do it. And I believe and I, and I and I'm and I'm being honest with you now. Every time I tell this story, I tell people this. That's why my grace that I showed that man that did that to me. I believe that's why I'm alive today you know because because even after that it is not like that I changed my life around like I didn't I didn't end up I'm I'm 40 years old I didn't end up meeting I didn't end up giving my life to Christ I was 33 years old you know but I believe because I showed that grace to to that guy that's why I'm still alive to this day because it actually
0: so you went about a decade still uh living a bit of a life of crime before you yep. totally abandon it.
1: Yeah, I went back to doing what was my norm. Like, how could you tell me there's a an alternative if I've never seen an alternative? I didn't know nothing but how to do with sell drugs. I did, that's that's all I knew. You know, I didn't know I didn't I didn't want to work. I I've never been around no working people and going to work and things like that. Everybody that I knew, man, we sold drugs and we sold drugs good. We were good at it. You know, so it wasn't it wasn't like we was out here um, nickel and diamond and, you know, make a hundred dollars a day. We was bringing in tens and tens of thousands of dollars a day, 20s and 50s and hundreds of thousands of dollars a day and profits of, you know, especially my the big guys that I was around. You know, when the FBI came and got them, they had one of my guys on wiretap saying that he profited three million dollars in one day. You know that those that was that's the type of money that we were dealing with. We wasn't dealing with no, I'm I'm, I'm man I'm I got to go make sandwich money and I hope I can, can buy my baby some Pampers. No, we can go outside and it's not a bill that you can accumulate throughout a household that I wouldn't be able to pay in one day. That's just how it was. Like so, um, but you were
0: living this lifestyle though. Did you ever reflect back on any of the things that your foster care family had? Try to
1: instill in you? No, because I had lost contact with them. I had lost contact with them. And then it was just like, you you adapt to the situation. You adapt mm-hmm. to the circumstances. Like, that was their life. And this was now my life. So I adapted to my life. My life wasn't in University Park anymore. My life was on 63rd and King Drive, 63rd and Kymet. Uh, 114th in, 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 in Prairie, 114th and Florida. That was my life. My life was no longer and, and with the white picket fences and things of that nature. My life was, man, put the gun on your hip, watch out, watch through the gangways for the guy. Do you
0: think that... that you were gonna have to groom your own son?
1: No. That's one thing that I always did. I always kept my children so separate away from my lifestyle. Like my children, and 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 it's so and it's so deep that. You know, me and my children, we talk now um, because of the book that I've written um, and they read, they, they have read the book and they just starting to learn about a lot of the things that I, I endured And a lot of the things that I that I actually did in the streets because I kept them so separate away from that life. And I did that intentionally.
0: So where would you rank? I'm just trying to figure this out. When you say the kind of money you can bring in in a day. Were you considered a big time drug dealer or meet middle of the road or?
1: Well, I'm gonna tell you like this. I remember one time I sat down with a doctor, right? That was, that was buying drugs. I sat down with this doctor. He was buying drugs from, he was buying drugs from a guy that, that I was, I was up under. And I told, when I found out he was a doctor and he was buying drugs, I said, wow, wow. A, a doctor that sells drugs and he said he said no nah, son i don't sell drugs you sell drugs he said i deal drugs there's a difference mm-hmm. so i went from see selling drugs is standing on the corner you know selling drugs buying somebody coming buying ten dollar bag 20 dollar bag that's selling drugs then you have a drug dealer a person that has a quantity of drugs that sell to drug that the people that sell the drugs, the drug dealers, you know what I'm saying? You have, then you had the ones that sell to the um, people that sell them. And then you have a, you have a, you have a connect, you know? So I consider myself, I was a dealer. I deal drugs. I deal drugs to anybody that wanted to sell them. Like we had, I had somebody that was feeding us kilos of cocaine. So they'll give us a price. Like um, they give us five kilos. We got to bring them back 11,000 off each kilo. You know, and then we went and sold the we went and dealt the drugs to the people that sold the drug. Mm-hmm. You know, now we doing it. We have to come up with the best deal so we can eat and they can eat off of me. You know, and that's that's how I was. So I could say I was like I was like the middle. I was like in the middle. But at the end of the day, I had to start from the bottom. You just don't go from the bottom to the top. You got to start somewhere. And I started from the bottom. I did sell drugs on the corner. I did, you know, do all those nickel and dimes. I It was once upon a time I used to sell, I might sell $10,000 worth of drugs for $200. You know, I would have been down that road, you know. But then you as you grow in stature, you grow and you graduate until people start trusting you with more and more drugs. And that's just how the drug game goes.
0: Fast forward, you were living that life still for another decade or so after you were kidnapped. And then... What happened that was like the true epiphany where you like, you know what, I'm leaving this life for real?
1: I actually, I actually 2000, this was 2000 and I believe 2007 or 2008. Um, My best friend was followed home and he was murdered. He was murdered on the phone. He was on the phone with his sister sitting in his driveway. Some guys followed him home and they murdered him. It, It got real. It was just, it was just, it was just chaotic. In Chicago, where I was at at the time, man, the rival gangs were saying if they can kill me and my best friend, that they can take over our neighborhood because we were the ones out there. If it wasn't for us, like, you know, shooting back and like we we were the only we were the only strength basically on the um in the in on, on our block. And um, one of the guys, one of the guys that I that I used to hang with, he had set me down. He had talked to me. He said, man. Dale, man, you need to, you need to just leave. Like they going to kill you. Like they gonna kill you. Like you need to leave. Like it's too many of them. they going to, they're going to eventually kill you. So, um, I made, I made an executive decision to move me and my children to, um, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And it's, they, it still took a couple of years. I didn't end up moving to like 2010, 2011, something like that. And, um, when I moved to Milwaukee, it was a totally different, it was a it was a change, it was different, different scenery. My my, my. Well, let me I, ask you this.
0: What is yeah. your mindset? How do you navigate each day with the pressure of knowing that basically there's a mark on your back? You said it took two years before you actually moved out of that neighborhood. How mm-hmm. did you how did you navigate?
1: Well, the thing about it is you you don't be fearful. That's one thing, because if you if you be scared and fearful, you're gonna die. And the thing about it is it was kill to be killed. So the same target that they had on my head, I had on their head. And they knew it. So I wasn't scared of them. They knew I wasn't scared of them. So it was like, if y'all don't kill me, I'm going to kill y'all. So it, it was it was, give, it was some give or take. Like, you know, they, they knew, like, if they approached me, like, they better be ready. They knew that. And I knew that they wasn't playing no games neither. So I knew I had to be ready and stay ready. So um it was just it was just um man you just eliminate fear you have no fear like i didn't i, I didn't fear dying i didn't want to die didn't
0: wake up with anxiety or
1: anything no, no. because because you got to think i had been i had been living this life since i was 12 years old mm. so the anxiety the anxiety leave Once you really understand the consequences, see, like when I joined the gang, I joined the gang just looking at the money and the cars and things like that. But when you really get deep into it and really understand, like these, there are real consequences behind being in the gang that you could really lose your life or you could really lose your life to the penitentiary and be locked up forever. Like I got some friends that they got 80s and 90s of years for murders and things like that. Then you say. Am I gonna continue to do this, or I'm gonna take this chance? And once you decide to take that chance, it's no looking back. You just you just really really separate yourself from, like I said, you separate yourself from humanity. You 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 got this cold heart, and you don't care about nothing. So, and you never
0: spent any time in jail?
1: No, I never. The most time I ever did was 52 days in Cook County Jail, but I've never been to like the penitentiary or anything like that. And that's another. That's another. That's that's God. That that was nothing but God. I can't say I was smarter than the police. Nothing like that. That was just God. That just what that was just not his plan for me.
0: So you move into this nicer neighborhood. You get out of that neighborhood where there's a, a mark on your back or head. Uh, and so now what's going on that then leads you to uh, going to church?
1: Well I'm, well, I'm in Milwaukee. I met this young lady named Renisha. I met her through 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 a brother of mine that um, on my father's side who I met when I moved to Milwaukee. I met her, man. I'm still selling drugs, and man, I'm making I'm making a lot of money in Wisconsin because it's sweet. I can up the prices. I woke up one morning, man. I had like three hundred thousand dollars in cash, like I had made just just selling drugs, selling drugs, and like in six months. Everything was gone. Like, all my money was gone. All my friends was gone. Renisha, that was my, she was my girlfriend. Even she was Why? gone. It, that day. This was, this was God. This was God's way. This was his, he was willing me in. He was willing me in.
0: But how and, did it, how did it leave? You had the it was
1: money? Just, Somebody it was stole just, it or what? No, nah, he stole it. It was just the the my phone stopped ringing nobody was calling for the drugs mm-hmm. no more it was it was just like right now to this day i really just don't understand how i went from this to that but i understand it was all part of god's plan mm-hmm. like phone stopped ringing like then i still got my children i got i got custody of six of my children you know bills getting paid every month you know, and and it, and, I, and I'm still I, I I still got you know I'm, I'm I'm living the life I'm running the streets every day I'm just doing everything my little soul can allow me to do. So with that being said, I'm just spending money, I'm spending money, spending money, spending money, spending money every day. Six months down, come day later, I don't have a quarter. Everybody done walked away from me. Um, my woman, she done found her a new man because she tired of the things that I'm going through, that I'm putting her through. And then I went into a real deep depression. I'm talking about really, really deep depression. And this when I really found out that depression was real, that depression is just not something that you wake up one day and just say, oh, I'm depressed. No, depression is a real illness. And I, and I knew, and I, and I found out firsthand how severe depression was, man. And I, I was in the hospital and I was, I was just sick. I was, they was giving me all this medicine and having me seeing therapists and everything. And I, I was just, I was just depressed. And, and what did depression
0: thing- look like to you? Like, what was your thought? Pattern
1: on or- what had happened was what this way happened. I actually had yeah, it was on a Sunday, it was on a Saturday morning. I had just came from Chicago. I had just, me and my boys had went and got our haircut because we were still driving back and forth. We still to this day drive back and forth from Ch- Milwaukee to Chicago to get our haircut. It was just so much weight. It was like the weight of the world on my shoulders. I'd never forget this day. I put my key into my door to open my door and I just broke down crying. And this was the first time I had cried in so long and I broke down and I cried and I didn't stop crying for like five months, balled up in my bed, just crying, just crying, just crying. And my mom and my sister came and, you know, they were, they were, they were just, they was trying to help me and my my kids. My kids was just in a rough situation because they've never seen me like that. That my kids look, my children looked at me like I was superman. Do so you they, think
0: that was all the emotions that had been suppressed from your childhood?
1: The therapist had told me that was just that was just years and years of worth of worth of um bottling my emotions up and it finally just broke. Like she said, she said she gave me the perfect analogy, and we say this so often pressure bust pipes and and your pipe has finally burst. And, and, and like she said, it could have, it could have been a heart attack. It could have been a stroke. It could have been anything, but all of that stuff had to come out. It Mm -hmm. had to come out.
0: I can relate to
1: that actually. Wow. Yeah. So man, it came out and man, I was just in a, I was just in a terrible place, man. I was, I was hurt. I was, I was lonely. I was lost. I, 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 I didn't understand why a few months go down the line down the line it was like now it's been like seven months since everything happened a few months after that like I'm starting to get better I'm not completely better but I'm starting to get better I'm starting you know get the get the ground back under my feet and um some just told me to reach out to Renisha and Mm -hmm. I reached out to her and I just said hey and uh man she was so excited to hear from me and she Mm -hmm. texted Actually, like was at work and she was, man, I miss you and and I was really missing her. You know, I, I I really needed her at the time. You know, I know I know I had did some things. You know, that compromised our relationship. Man, we we end up connecting again. We end up connecting, and then she asked me. She said, man, don't don't you you want to go to church with me? And I'm like, yeah. You know, I'm back to selling my drugs and stuff again. But I'm like, yeah, I'll go. And um, man, I went to church with her. You know, but I was back, like I said, like like I said earlier, all I knew was how to sell drugs. So I'm back selling drugs again because I still got to provide for me and my children. But, you know, I'm still I'm, I'm threading the water real carefully because I know I know that I, I'm sick. You know, I, I know that I'm, I'm not in the right headspace to really be out here in these streets and stuff like that. I'm just really selling drugs now just to provide, you know, a roof for me and my children and make sure they got the necessities and things that they need. Man, I went to church with her. And then she asked me, you know, would, would, I, would I go back? And I said, yeah. So I went back. It was June 29th, 2014. Hmm. And man, um, I gave my life to Christ. And man, my life ain't it, it hasn't been the same ever since. Like, man, it, it's been a great thing that happened to me. And uh, and then man, Renisha ended up getting married July 24th of 2014. Hmm. So that's my that's my role, dog, man. That's my that's my that's my girl. That's
0: beautiful. uh, 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 Was there a particular message or word that you heard on that day in church that just did it for you?
1: You know what, man, the pastor, like Pastor Marlon Locke, man, Unity Gospel House of Prayer. And um, man, when we when I got to the church, I see, man, it was it was it was a pretty decent sized church. It holds about 3000 people. The, 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 The church was packed. It was full. Man, he was talking, and what related to me was he? He was talking about his brother. He got a brother that's incarcerated that got like two hundred and some years. His brother was just from the streets, in the streets, you know, gangbangers selling drugs and murders and all this and all that. And that related to me, like I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this guy. And he's telling us, he's telling the congregation all of his faults are, you know, when he was about to commit suicide and you know, things of that nature. And mm-hmm. I'm finally looking at this preacher that's not coming off to be perfect. He's actually sharing to the world mm-hmm. that he has flaws. Wow. And I've never heard a preacher do this because I have always heard preachers make themselves seem like they just was perfect, like they, they was born saved, like he was sharing with everybody you know how he was a womanizer and you know how just all of his faults and downfalls and was he was saying like you know I'm not perfect now it's because of God's grace you know that I wake up and I renew my mind daily and it was just a lot of things he was saying so I was kind of I'm like yeah I can roll with dude like man I can rock with him you know what I'm saying because like he's letting me know that he's not perfect like he's not he's not sending me to hell like you know how many Christians I done heard that mm-hmm.
0: you going to hell
1: like but like, man, I, you, and, and when you, when you're not living that type of life and somebody tell you, you going to hell, it's like, F you and your God. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to hell. F you. Who is you to say I'm going to hell? So it, it it turns you away from God. Like if that's the type of, if you, if I got to be like that as a Christian, I don't want to be no Christian. If I, I got just want to wanna add
0: that I agree 100% with you about, I think one of the biggest mistakes we make in church is not. Showing people, even if we are delivered from our sin, uh, so to speak, we're not a bridge. We don't show people where we started and then be the bridge to show them how we got to this better version of ourselves. And that is a crucial mistake because we can't rationalize in our minds as just as being a human being. There's good and bad in all of us. So how do you tell someone who has lived their lives primarily in a way that they would equate as bad or sin? And then they see you and it looks like you're walking on the water and you've always walked on the water. And there's no way to rationalize how you can get there. Absolutely. So I think you point out a very important thing that all of us need to be mindful of. Tell the whole story. Keep it real.
1: And the thing about it is, what like we, we was talking earlier, like what, what a lot of and then what we got to understand as Christians, like it's not even your story. You know what I'm saying? It's not it's not your story. So you, that's why it's a must. Like and I tell my wife this all the time. Like once we gave our life to Christ, your life is no longer yours anymore. Like your testimony is to help somebody else. Your testimony is not to be set on. It's to not to say, you know, I'm this type of person. I'm not finna share that with everybody else, well, that's not yours to, sh- to, to keep to yourself. God didn't deliver you from that, to bring you through that to keep that to yourself, no matter how embarrassing it may be.
0: And you, you know, know what you said to me the other day that I think sums it up quite well? Is you said you're a servant. You're well, right. a servant to others. And, and, that, and that's you blow me away listening to your story about how you had a life of crime, a gangbanger, selling drugs. Uh, having a gun and even willing to shoot people. And now you're a servant. You're a servant even to stop things like that. So that makes me think of the next thing I want to ask you about. I know that you like to engage with young people. Why are they a type of target audience for you?
1: Because one thing I know of, like, if we can, if we can get the youth like I, I live by this saying. I got a saying that I say. Like I have T-shirts that say, "Like if I could change the way you think, I could change the way you live. If I can get them and change, because see, the one thing about our children, they only, they only gonna do what they see. Like, but if I could change that way of thinking, if I could change that thought process and get them to understand, like, let's use everybody's perspective. Let's use everybody. Stop looking at things through one through one set of eyes and just look at it through everything. See, because. Kids don't, especially in the African American community, they don't wake up and hear that they great every day. They don't wake up and hear that they can do whatever they put their mind to. They don't they don't they don't hear that, you know, nothing can stop you but you. You know, they hear I'm in the process right now writing the kids' book. Book that I'm writing is called Um You're Talking to My Heart. You know what I'm saying? And it's just that you and, and it's just that because so many times, like, Kids hear that you know you get on my nerves. You act just like your mama. You act just like your daddy, but not understanding. You are destroying that child. You did. You a child should not be subjective to hearing things like that. You should never tell a child that they getting on your nerves. You should never tell a child that they stupid or they dumb or you know all the swear words and things like that. Like 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 me and my wife, we don't talk to our children like that. You know, and before we got saved, we didn't talk to our children like that. Like, I've never agreed with that type of behavior. My mom never talked to me like that. You know what I'm saying? So I was never that type of parent that, you know, tell my children like they stupid and they dumb and I hate them. And so now I, I, I try to break that cycle. I try to I try to talk speak nothing but life into children. And if they come, like, I, I was an educator for five years. So when you say you was an educator, like I can understand it. Like I was an educator for five years. Like I done made the newspaper and news and like with the program that I was running at this, this school in um, Racine, Wisconsin, you know, and how I changed these children's lives. I took this one school, Julian Thomas, I took the suspension from two hundred and seventy five suspensions one year all the way down to 54 suspensions wow. the next year with the program that I was running but what I was doing only look since this is all I was doing I was loving these kids I was loving them all I did was love them Beautiful. all I did was make them know that they they had a voice and I mm-hmm. loved them and I value everything about them. I added value to them. So what, what happens is even when they get in trouble, now I can sit them down in my office and we can talk about what's the good decision. What what? How could you could have handled that better? What are some other words you could have used to express yourself? Once they start to get that, they start to understand that. Now they say, okay, this do work is not about you being a punk. It's not about you being scary or nothing like that. It's about you getting an education. You can't get an education suspended. You can't. You right. can't get an education in detention. So how how can we how can we do this different? And all I did was love on them kids. So when I when I deal with the youth, I deal with the youth. I look. I look at. I look at them all like they my own children. I'm not going to handle you in no way that I wouldn't handle my children. So I'm going to look at you like you're my child. So I'm going to love you and I'm going to encourage you and I'm going to build you up. Even though when I look in your eyes and I see you have no light, I'm going to light that fire. I'm going to light that fire. I'm going to help you to let you know. Like I'm going to touch bases on you when children. You know, they they struggle in reading and things like that. I'm going to take them back to when Mr. White used to struggle in reading. When I was in the first and second grade and my mom or my dad wasn't there, you know, to help me with homework and things of that nature. I could, and when they become relatable, when I become relatable to them, now they to open up more because now I'm one of them. And now I'm the cool guy. Mr. White, he cool. Mr. White, he cool. And that's what I want to hear. Guess what? Everything that I do ain't gonna be so cool, especially when I'm chastising you. It's not gonna be cool, but you know I'm doing it in love, so you're gonna accept it better. So that's what I just try to do. I just try to, I just try to love on these children. You know what?
0: I wish I could just bottle you up and put you (laughs) (laughs) and just pass you around to every school system in America and I dare say the world because. I mean, I gather that you have not received formal training to be a teacher, but you have the fundamental principles that are more right than any content knowledge uh, and more valuable to students than science and math. You're relatable and, and you touch those children. I have a saying that I use as an educator, which is, You have to touch the heart to teach the mind. And to me, you, through what you just shared, you've practiced that in the most stellar way. And you're an inspiration to me. I tell you this all the time in the short time that I've known you. You constantly have me cheesing ear to ear. I have the biggest smile on my face because I am so impressed with you, your life story. And I just see you as, as God's gift to the world. And, you know, I want to speak life into your life the way you are doing for young people and for people at large. We are coming to the end of this where we have to wrap it up. There's one question I ask all guests before we sign off. And it's what one gem can you give to my listeners who may be struggling in poverty? I ask everyone to give me their one gem, but yours is specifically around uh, listeners who may be struggling with poverty, tempted toward a life of crime or already living a life of crime. And, you know, I don't want to just even limit you to that. How can they go to the next level best in their lives? Just speak from your heart, whatever comes to your mind. You can even not totally speak to all the the buzzwords that I just gave you.
1: Well, I got this from a guy by the name of George Elliott. He said, it's never too late to be what you could have been. Every time I tell people that, that, I'm letting you know. I don't care about your mistakes. I don't care about your downfalls. I don't care about what mama and daddy did. I don't care about what society say that you're not. You can be whatever it is that you put your mind to be. So what I'm going to encourage you to do is wake up. We all have a dream, but we, 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 we dream, but we can only get that dream when we wake up. You got to wake up out the dream and go get the dream. Uh-huh. So I want you to wake up this afternoon and I want you to go get your dream because your yeah. dream is waiting on you. You dreamed about having these things. Now, let's let's put our best foot forward. And let's go get it because you can do it. You can do anything that you put your mind to. and I believe. That you can do anything, you know. The Bible says we can do all things through Christ that strengthen us. Allow right. Christ to be your strength, and He's gonna He's gonna touch you, and you can go wherever you want to go. Elon Musk, I'm not the only person that can go to the stars. If you can't be, mm-hmm. if you can't go to the be a star, at least sit amongst them. I'm not a star, but I'm gonna sit amongst the stars. Right. You know. And, and, and my, my job is just to encourage you and push you to your greatness. Get out them circles and get yourself in a corner. Circles pull on you. Corners push you. I want to be in your corner. I want to push you to your greatness because you got greatness in you. and You have purpose in you. So go live your purpose.
0: You know what? Amen. You would think that I planned this. I didn't plan it, but God did. You spoke to what my whole show is about. The whole thing is about going to your next level, envision together, going to our next level of best. And you captured, you embodied that in what you just said. So I'm just going to leave it there. I have one final thing I'm going to ask of you. Tell my listeners how they can buy your book or get in touch with you for speaking engagements or just anything you want to share, because I definitely want to be a platform that you can use to um, get yourself out there so more people can hear your story.
1: I thank you. And I really appreciate that. Um, you can order my book, The Devil Thought He Had Me, Volume 1 and 2, off Amazon. You can contact me on my Facebook page um, at Arthur Wendell White or on my uh, Instagram page at Wendell W underscore two for the number two four. Or you can uh, simply send me an email at info at WendellWhiteSpeaks.com. And, um, man, I got a mentoring service for young young boys and men. It's $35 for four weeks for the um, youth, and it's $50 for four weeks for the men. And I just want to help you navigate through life. I'm not trying to run your life, but I want to help you navigate through life. And what navigation looks like is I don't want you to walk through the puddle. I want to help you walk around the puddle. And if I can help you walk around the puddle and stay dry, man, you, you it, it may not, it may not, it may not get the, we may not get there as, as, as fast as the person run through the puddle, but we don't mm. get cleaner and drier than the person that run through the puddle. So just let me help you. And I just want to help you. I just want, all I want to do is help. Just let me help.
0: You. Beautiful. Thank you so much again. It's been a complete honor.
1: Thank you. I appreciate you, sis, man. God bless you.
0: Well, friends. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Envision Together going to our next level of best podcast. I hope today's topic inspired you to envision a brighter future getting to your next level of best and to urge others to reach theirs as well. If you are encouraged by today's episode, subscribe and share it with your family and friends. Also, please write a review. It will help me to reach a wider audience with a message of hope and inspiration. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and share your thoughts about today's episode. Until next time, envision the future you want to see.